Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Connection Podcast, the place where we connect with the brightest minds in commercial real estate, uncovering their secrets, strategies, and captivating stories. I'm your host, Sammy Susan, here to serve as your guide and connector-in-chief on this exciting journey. Together, we'll dive deep into the world of commercial real estate, exploring the ins and outs of this dynamic industry. Our goal is to discover the true power of meaningful connections along the way. So get ready to plug in, engage, and elevate your commercial real estate journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Sammy Susan, and today we have the privilege of welcoming a true industry titan, Mr. Jason Baker, co-founder and principal of Baker Catstar Show. With over 25 years of invaluable experience in the Houston retail market, Jason's established himself as a prominent figure in the field, leading the Baker Cats tenant rep team and bringing in an unrivaled market knowledge to his clients. Throughout his career, Jason's collaborated with many well-renowned brands such as Best Buy, Fox Restaurant Concepts, as well as Texas Children's Hospital. Furthermore, his contributions extend beyond a tenant rep where he plays a pivotal role in identifying and underwriting development projects, which hopefully we'll touch on. Jason's expertise and achievements are further enhanced by his past presidency in the uh, X-Team International, and it's an honor to have Jason Baker as our guest today. We really look forward to delving into your vast knowledge and insights into the world of commercial real estate. So welcome, Jason. Hey, Sammy, thanks for having me. Really, really looking forward to this. So Jason, we're really thrilled to have you on the podcast. It's a real privilege to host you, and let's just jump right in there. I'd love to start off by getting to know you a bit better. Maybe you can share a bit about your background and what you would say sparked your interest in commercial real estate and what let you down this exciting path. Yeah, my, my business partner, Kenneth Katz, and I always talk about both having grown up in and around the business. Kenneth's father was a really well-known and very successful real estate attorney in the market named Marvin Katz. And then my father actually came to Houston by way of the NFL. And then when he retired from playing professional sports, he got into the real estate business. And so I would say from the time I was very young, I'm the oldest of four kids. Like you said, I'm a native Houstonian. I was was driving real estate with my father and hearing about the deals that he was putting together. He did a little bit of office, a little bit of industrial, a little bit of retail, but also was very successful. And so I would say I grew up around it. I grew up in Houston, as I mentioned, I went to college at Texas A&M and after school got out and began really interviewing for jobs at what felt like a crummy time. It was in the mid nineties. Oh yeah, it was in the mid nineties. And I was very thankfully, I was offered a job by Ed Wolf. He was in the process of starting a real estate management firm and they needed someone maybe young and aggressive to get out and lease these projects for them that they were managing. That was part of what they needed to offer, leasing and management. And so I was hired and did that for about a year and then realized pretty quickly what I really had an interest in it was tent rep and representing retailers and really growing that side of the business. Within about a year of being at Wolf, Kenneth Katz showed up. We had worked together years earlier for an appraiser, the summer job in college. And, uh, and he showed up and took a job in a desk right next to me and we began, we began working together. And of course they say the rest is history. We began working together in the mid nineties and and worked just about every day together since. And it's been probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever had. You know, that's a blessing. I feel like working with someone that you really have a strong and good relationship with is extremely understated in industry and fundamental and crucial to the success of your business. I think you're right. I, you look, there's plenty of examples of bad partnerships. I think the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate what a good partnership looks like. One really bad decision can really undermine a great partnership. And, uh, and I'm really, really grateful that partnering with someone who has a habit of making good decisions and is a person of high integrity and really works hard and is organized. And I'm very thankful. 
That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that, Jason. So you mentioned that you got into the tenant rep business. For those that are beginners out there in commercial real estate and kind of getting started out, maybe you can share a little bit about what it's like to be a retail tenant rep and even share maybe a sneak peek into kind of your daily routine, the ins and outs of your role and some things that you handle on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I was really fortunate. I was at a company that was very active when I got started and I was making observations about the people in the industry that I really respected and I since were performing well and successful. And so the very first tenant rep account I ever had was General Nutrition Centers. They were a franchise, they were a franchise concept. They were predominantly in malls, but they had an interest in being in grocery anchor centers around Houston. In the mid nineties, there was a tremendous amount of grocery development in our city. And so I had the one tenant that had all but no competition. And, uh, and there was like, they had an insatiable appetite for being in grocery anchored centers. And so I learned then this again, or very early on in my career, how to develop a market strategy the things that the retailer really cared about, where growth pockets were, the how traffic patterns worked and the importance of future road construction, how it may or may not impact positively or negatively a tennis decision. And uh, so we really focused so much energy in those first year to two years of my career on that one account. And it forced me to learn the city really well. But I did realize, like you said, through that account, how much more of that business I wanted to pick up. And so early on, I set a goal I really thought it would be possible to represent a retailer in every category of retail. So I would wanted to represent an electron, a retailer that specialized in consumer electronics, in office supply, in coffee. And it didn't work out 100% that way, but it worked out close. I love the people part of it. I love the strategy of it. And uh, I love the competition of it. In almost every category of retailer, you have almost always two competitors. And so I love the competition of it. And I just, I really fell in love with the tenant rep side of our work, the service element of it, but the people part of it, I really liked. You know, I guess most people view commercial real estate as just very binary, you know, buying, selling buildings, but sounds like when you really delve deep into it, you realize that, and I would say in particular in retail, that the tenants are everything. And so having key relationships with those tenants is extremely important. Yeah, no, that's, there's no question about it. And that changes from time to time. Right now we're in an environment where the market is so tight that in some ways it feels like it's better to control the product than it is even the retail. But for most of my career, I would say being able to you know, control the retailers, maybe not the right way for me to say it, but to have a strong and strengthening relationship with a retailer that's looking to expand your market is a really valuable thing. I think they, there's, there is a lot of truth. There is a lot of truth to that. And then being able to develop a habit or seeing retail through the lens of a, of seeing a retail and commercial space through the lens of a retailer is really what it's all about. To slip into their shoes and with different product types, being able to behave like a real estate manager creates a lot of value for the retailer who oftentimes doesn't have a physical presence in your market or certainly doesn't have corporate headquarters in your market. I think that is a, a really valuable thing. And I think, frankly, I think separates one tenant rep broker from another. But I think the other thing, Sammy, is not everybody leases multifamily space. Not everybody leases office space. And not everybody certainly has ever had a need for industrial space. But everybody's a consumer. And so I think that sort of, I think that makes retail a more appealing subject than almost any other category of commercial real estate. And so... Yeah, the, the retail space, number one, it's exciting. Number two, and I think probably what I'm most excited about is all the naysayers going into and coming out of COVID have been wrong. 
Retail is very, very relevant among institutional investors and among among local investors. And it is a great time to be a, a developer in this market. It's a great time to represent retailers looking to expand in this market. That's really interesting. And we're definitely going to touch back on that in a couple of moments. But I wanted to delve a little bit more into when you transitioned to the tenant rep. I think uh, it was about 15 years ago, you mentioned? It's a little bit longer than that. It's probably closer to 20 more years, but yeah. Gotcha. So you mentioned how you got started in commercial real estate. What kind of motivated that shift into specifically the tenant rep side? And how would you say that has influenced your perspective and approach to commercial real estate overall? Yeah, no, this is a great question. You know, I, I would say when Kenneth and I got started, we look in any given year, there's only going to be a certain number of retailers that are coming to the market. And there's going to be a lot more brokers vying for that business than there are retailers to go around. So it is competitive and it's a competitive space. Early on in our careers, like so many brokers before us and after us, there was, we were heavily concentrated in projects. We were doing a lot of project leasing and had great relationships with a number of publicly traded companies and with local with local developers. And we love those relationships. But what we found, at least across the board, is that there was this continuum, if you will, where you've got the really high quality product on one end, and then you kind of have everything else on the other end. A lot of that would be on anchored or mid-block retail. What we found was to really create a lot of value for the customer on the project leasing side was to us more difficult day in and day out than creating value for the retailer that was looking to either expand its existing presence or come into the market for the very first time. And so we just, we really gravitated towards the service side and the tenant rep business more than the project side. For, and there's more reasons than that, but that's, that is a really simplified way of saying, we just fell in love with the value proposition that we could add on the tenant rep side. And I think that was a good decision for us. That's awesome, Jason. Maybe you could share now a bit about how you've seen the role of tenant reps evolve over the years. I feel like there's been a lot of change in the strategies that have been proven effective in representing tenants. Yeah. One thing is for sure, feel like retail has evolved in a different way than the other commercial property types, for sure. Retailers for years, you know, middle part of the century, you know, they would take one prototype, one floor plan, one shelving and inventory, lighting and music, you know, it's like, like they would take everything and they would just, you know, they would cookie cut it from one market to the next. And I think in a lot of ways, retailers, and again, this is a big generalization, but I think retailers, retailers have realized that the, um, that the customer is insisting on more than that. I mean, a great example of that, of course, is, is HEB. And they're certainly more regional than they are national. But they have figured that out in a really unique way with, with the way that they roll out stores in different brands, depending on the market that they're going into or expanding in. And so I would say, too, just the industry in general, while retailers have certainly changed a lot over the years, you know, we saw early on in my career, I remember HEB was rolling out pantry stores and they were 25,000 feet. Of course, yeah. now HEB's got stores that are well over 100,000 square feet in markets mm -hmm. like San Antonio and Houston. And of course, they're expanding aggressively right now in Dallas. The trend has been interesting. I mean, you've seen the shift towards smaller footprints, then to larger footprints. And I now feel like in a lot of ways, retailers are trending smaller or certainly more efficient. But also the role of the broker, I think, has changed a lot. You know, the idea for as long as real estate has been around, the tenant rep broker, that role has not been around that long. And, right. and retailers should have high expectations of the brokers that are representing them. 
I think number one, I think a broker is responsible for representing or advocating for the brand well, obviously, which means leveraging, hopefully, good relationships that they have in the market. I think also the role of a broker is to control the things that you can control. And oftentimes that means turning up business that's really hard to come by. We tell retailers every week that, look, if there is a sign in the window of a space, there is a 95% chance that it's not going to be a fit for us, which is not what every retailer wants to hear. It goes back to turning up information that's hard to come by is really where you are your stripes. And, um, and that's what the role of a good tenant rep broker is, at least one of the things that they need to be doing. So represent the brand well, be aware of changes in your market that someone in Minneapolis or Denver, Atlanta couldn't possibly be expected to know. And then to turn up information that's hard to come by, but then ultimately the people that you're working with are going to at some point have to stand up and make presentation on a site that they're hoping to get committee approved. And the goal ultimately is to make them look really, really good in that decision-making process. And that's really the role, that's really the role of a tenant rep broker. Sounds like you really, really have to study your tenant. You know, when you're project leasing, essentially, you're just taking care about filling a spot. But as a tenant rep, you really take on a lot of responsibility for the clients or for the greater brand, as you mentioned. It's uh, certainly a lot of accountability on behalf of the broker. Yeah, I think that's right. And by the way, that's part of too, what makes to me tenant rep work on the retail side so interesting is, I mean, if you think about, if you think about the scope of the retailers that we work with, and that other tenant rep brokers work with in our market, you know, you've got to know a little bit about electronics. You've got to know a little bit about grocery. You've got to know, or maybe a lot about grocery and a lot about just, just consumer behavior yeah. and spending patterns and the overall economy, both on a macro and a micro level. Then even take it down more local than that. You know, we get asked all the time about representing retailers in other major markets. And we always tell them, like, look, we're in, we're in a city of seven and a half, closing in on eight million people. And the nature of retail is change. And it's our responsibility to be aware of what is changing in our market and communicating that to our clients to get outside of a market that already has three or 400 million square feet of retail and a growing population is at least a company our size is almost more than we could responsibly handle. And so I would say most of what we do is, I always describe it as like somewhere between an hour and a half, two hours of Houston and the Rio Grande Valley. That's where we spend most of our time. Yeah, so it's not too far of a distance. Not too far, not too far. <laughs> so now to shift gears a little bit and discuss a little bit of the ever-changing retail landscape. I know we touched on it a bit earlier, but you know, traditional brick and mortar retailers are facing some very unique challenges with the rise of direct-to-consumer brands, e-commerce. In your opinion, maybe you can share a bit about how traditional brick and mortar retailers perhaps can adapt and stay competitive in this shifting retail environment. Yeah, I don't, I mean, calling it a shifting retail environment, I don't know that I totally, I don't know that I totally see it that way. The word that's been more overused in retail than any other word over the last decade is this idea of omnichannel. And I feel like now more than ever on the heels of COVID, retailers, if they don't, they'll fail. But retailers do understand the value of a physical presence and an online presence. And you really can't do one without the other. There's no question about that at this point. Other than fuel, what can't you buy online, right? I mean, and so think about like, I mean, did anybody ever talk about buying a car in a meaningful way, buying a car online pre-COVID. I mean, there was a little bit of that happening, but not nearly right. like it is now. And or grocery sales. I mean, curbside was available pre-COVID, but I know most people I know now are doing most of their grocery sales online. 
And so this idea of, of omnichannel is now more important than ever, but I'm trying to shy away from that word because I feel like it has truly been so overused. I think that they're, I think that retail, because it, it is so interesting, I think that it is ever evolving. I think that retailers that have only had an online presence have underestimated, as a rule, have underestimated what it costs to capture the attention of a consumer if you don't have a physical presence. And then I think retailers that only have a physical presence are going to have challenges challenges by not having an online presence. And I think we'll see more and more of that, especially in soft goods. I think you'll see the challenges of that more and more, especially with discounted soft goods. I think that's a, where you'll see a big play and a big move. I think the really interesting story, real interesting recent story, is this idea that Nike wanted to pull so much of their product out of these really important physical outlets. And it was a, I feel like it was a failed experiment almost overnight where they've gone back and renegotiated their deals with almost every one of those outlets, understanding the importance of having a physical presence and not feeling like in order to cut out the middleman, they're going to go DTC on, you know, on all of their higher end or higher quality product. I just, think they realize quickly that's not a successful recipe. And I don't think it's, it's a successful recipe with the possible exception of luxury goods. I don't think it's a successful recipe for just about any other, any kind of retail product type. That is fascinating. You know, I have a friend who mentioned that he buys retail centers. And one of the most important factors that he takes into consideration when purchasing those centers is that they're kind of Amazon proof, quote unquote, where all the tenants are going to be primarily service-based. Maybe it's selling alcohol, maybe it's nail salons, maybe it's hair salons, but primarily businesses that don't have an online presence. And that way he kind of protects his investors' investments. Uh, is that something that maybe you've seen on the investment side or, you know, based on our conversation, it sounds like even if they're online tenants, they're still finding it very, very important to have a physical presence as well. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me for sure across the board. Look, there's independent franchise model retail storefronts that really can't afford to do much online or very little, the cost of really having a robust presence online is also expensive. But no, but across the board, I think that is very much true, is that you really have to have both to have to be sustainably successful over time. No question. So Jason, I know last week when we were putting our heads together, we kind of spoke about this for a bit. Taking a look at our market, the Houston market, where quality inventory is very low, but there's still pretty high demand for that type of inventory. What kind of strategies do you recommend for the businesses that are looking to expand and maybe, you know, find those suitable commercial spaces to accommodate their growth needs? What would you suggest to retailers to perhaps doing a better job at finding those spots? Yeah, I know it is. It's a really tough market. Tough in, in the sense that, very not tough, it's very tight. And uh, as a matter of fact, as tight as any time that I can really remember. You know, we are at a really interesting time in Houston where, you know, outside of like Charlotte, I think we had more retail per capita than any other major market in the country. We have a lot of retail per capita. And I do believe that this constriction with all the material cost overrides and the cost to develop and how problematic that's been for local developers and developers all over the country, but I think it's been especially good for Houston. I think it has allowed our population to grow without frankly adding much in the ways of retail. I think that's good for landlords. I think that's good for retailers. I think I think across the board, I think it's going to be good. You better believe when these costs come down and when interest rates come down and we get all this detention craziness under control and really figured out, I think there will be continued, there will be a robust 
amount of retail added to this market. There, there just will be. And I think a lot of it will continue to happen along the Grand Parkway. But this is the environment we're in. Every landlord at some level struggles with keeping or getting, I really should say, certain space leased. It doesn't matter how you market it. It doesn't even matter how you might discount it rent-wise. And we're seeing a lot of that space even getting leased right now, which tells you a little bit about just how tight our market really is. And so this is where I really do believe that tent rep brokers have to have an opportunity to make clients for a lifetime is coming up with, again, the information that's hard to come by. And, and I think part of that is, number one, really refining the strategy that your client has. I think that is a really important thing, making sure that the expectations on economics and timing are clearly outlined on the front end. And then I think, too, it is this idea of calling on signs while it's valuable. I think it means getting ahead of lease expiration dates and even week tenants. I had a conversation with the landlord just in the last few weeks. He's got a quality tenant. Our best days are behind them, but where he's just like, we want this space back because we feel like by reletting the space to our higher quality tenant, it's going to help us with leasing on this second phase of our project, but we can't get it back. And so they're looking at doing an audit as retailer to make sure that, to make sure that they're actually keeping up their end of the deal, especially as it relates to, especially as it relates to hurdles, sales hurdles that are built into their lease. And, and that's really at the point where we are, which by the way, I can't say that I've seen a lot of in my career. I think you lease in the higher, better quality projects. I think you can expect to see some of that to the extent that it's a bit, you know, it's built into leases. But I think it means being persistent. I think it means, I think it means being your car a lot. There are things, despite what people think, there's things that you just can't learn by being behind your desk and behind Google or, you know, behind email. And uh, I think that it means getting more aggressive and more persistent and better follow through than maybe you've been in your career. That's where that's where we are in this very, very tight retail landscape. Yeah. A friend of mine once told me that when it gets to this point, when it gets tough, you just got to pedal harder. And so I think being more creative, coming up with unique ways to find those locations will be crucial to uh, the, their success. Yeah, I think that's right. So, Jason, there's an ongoing debate whether we're in a recession or not. It's something that we see all over the news every day. All the conversations you hear at every restaurant, doctor's office wherever going, and it's something that any commercial real estate professional or anyone who's in the finance industry is always talking about. I'd love to hear your insights and maybe perhaps some forecasts that you can share about in the next 12 to 18 months, some thoughts that you have in regards, and in particular to the commercial real estate industry, and if there's any specific sectors or markets that you think will experience growth or perhaps face more challenges based on that. Yeah, in an effort to keep things positive, I would say I'm not an economist, that's for sure. Anybody that anybody here in my office would say he's definitely not an economist, but it is interesting. I make observations about the stuff I see at street level every day, right? That's that has a lot to do even with the way I invest in the market and in stocks. I just see, I look at just human, human nature and human patterns. That's what I pay attention to. And I don't think there's any question that we're starting to see a little bit of a pulling in, you know, a little bit of a drawing in, in terms of spending, you might not necessarily see it in Houston, but I do think we're seeing signs of it in other parts of the country, number one. And so it's interesting how even the way that people define recessions has seemed to have changed over the last six months. I mean, I know that there was a, there was technically a way of defining it and had to do with two consecutive negative GDP 
I think people have moved away from that. The people that I really respect and the people that I listen to, and I, I learned something really valuable through COVID and hitting it really simplified by saying, man, be mindful of what you're listening to. You know, be really careful. You can't take bits and pieces from every talking head that's looking for a crowd or looking for an audience. Be really mindful of who you listen to. And the people that I respect would say that, number one, if we aren't in a recession, we're going into a recession, but it is possibly going to have a softer landing ultimately than what we were originally braced for. That is what I truly believe, number one. Number two is there's the empirical information that you can look at and go, what are the federal funds rate is predicting at the end of 24 to have rates at 40% lower than where they are right now. And, I, and, and the only reason I think that is important is we've seen the Fed lift these rates consistently, not this past week, but in the weeks prior or in the months prior. And, um, and that was something, again, that they had a tool out of their toolbox so that they ultimately could begin lowering the rate, uh, the federal funds rate, in an effort to spur on the economy. Right now, it sure appears that they're preparing to do that at the end of 24, which only can lead you to believe that they think things will be getting worse towards the middle and latter part of next year than it is right now. I mean, I, that is an oversimplified way of looking at things. I am, I'm glad that while the office environment seems to still be, have some serious headwinds, I think the next several, I think the next six to 12 months in the office space is going to be really interesting to watch. But I think too, you'll start seeing a slowdown of all the crazy amount of industrial development that we've seen in this market. And I'm glad that we've experienced that kind of growth. I think you'll start seeing more retail development. And I think you'll start, you'll continue to see some, but not an overly high amount of single family development. And uh, so I think all that to say, Sammy, is I think Houston will continue to be vibrant. I think that Houston will continue to be a great place to live. And I think that things will move forward, but in check and... Uh, and we probably going into the beginning of 24 through the middle part of 24, I think you can start feeling a little hairier, but with, with, with maybe without the hard landing that everybody was expecting initially. Sure. And I think the fact that we saw that the feds didn't raise the rates this past week was a certainly a breath of fresh air and a, a bit of a, a slight relief. So I guess we'll see where it goes from there. So Jason, I would love to hear more about a recent deal or a project, something you worked on. Maybe you can walk us through briefly and share some valuable lessons and key takeaways that you've gained from that experience. It's hard not to think COVID in one sense, it feels like a lifetime ago. And of course, in, in another sense, gosh, maybe you do too. I mean, I know people that have COVID right now. So in some ways, those little like those little examples of people that are in your life that have COVID, you're like, I mean, okay, so it's still, that really was a real thing. And it wasn't that long ago. We, we, bought, we bought a parcel of land, Northwest Houston up in the Brenham market shortly before COVID hit. And uh, I'd never, I, I had never, nobody had experienced what we experienced, right? During COVID. It was fresh and new for all of us. And so to me, there was a lot of grace on the front end as people were trying to navigate those choppy waters. Thank goodness we were in Texas because while we had started site work on this 50 acre site, things came not for us because we had already begun the work, but at least in terms of retail interest, we felt like things came to a screeching halt. That, to Kenneth and me, felt like scary times. We weren't sure what things would look like going out, you know, three, six, nine, and 12 months. And thankfully, within just a couple of months, things seemed to be closer or maybe even operating at a higher level of interest on this particular site. So the lesson was, 
that project has turned out great. I mean, we're really great. And city, uh, the county, everyone that had a part in that project coming together, it was great experience all the way around. I would say the big lesson for us at that point was, number one, keep your wits, maintain your poise. Even in uncertain times, cooler heads will prevail. I just think about those early months and all the extreme statements that we were hearing about COVID and the death of retail as we knew it and all those things. And the reality is that retail, if nothing else, retail proved its resiliency and the fact that it really isn't going anywhere. But I think the other lesson and I mentioned it just a minute ago, is guard and protect your hearing. Listen to the people you trust. Don't listen to every sound bites and all the pundits and talking heads on TV that are an expert in nothing, right? But, but, but like part of it's got in instinct, but part of it too is leaning into and trusting the people you really respect and that have been through our times. I mean, you know, leading and demanding times, there, there are a lot of books that could be written about that coming out of COVID. And there's something about Sammy wobbliness and, or maybe the, 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 um, the change that was happening so fast in the front end of COVID in a really strange way. I enjoyed really enjoyed there. There were pieces of it Just, that were very scary, but I love change. I really love change. And I because I feel like, you know, Jeff Bezos has a really good line. I'm not, I don't know if I'm particularly a huge Bezos fan, but I do like this line is he said, when everything's turned upside down, people try to move towards the areas where they feel like things are changing. And he said, great leaders remind people around them to focus not on what's changing, but on what's not going to change or what will remain the same. And the fact of the matter is, we knew that people would continue to shop. We knew that a well-designed and thoughtful project would be embraced by the community. And we knew that this was a part of our state that was continuing to grow, even if it was delayed by three to six months. And we were exactly right. So again, I, that was a project that turned out great. It's called Brenham Crossing. We're under construction with two new anchor tenants, Home Depot and Marshalls and PetSmart and Five Below. Yes. And then it's a big project. It's about 250,000 square feet of anchors in the back. We're leasing the pads up front. And the really cool thing, which is add, is that by putting this project together, we really created with the help of TxDOT, we created a new retail pocket up in Brenham. It's only about 80 miles northwest of Houston. And uh, now you're seeing Academy under construction. And we've got Burlington and Ulta under construction in our project. Chick-fil-A is coming to the market. They've wanted to be there for a long time. So it's been fun to help had to have a hand in delivering this to that city and county. It's been great. You know, besides the actual tenant rep, it sounds like you're also spearheading and building communities. Uh, and that really drives the businesses that are that are around there. And so it kind of really brings in uh, and helps grow the communities that are around there. So that sounds really, really cool. So now to focus a little bit on building relationships and how crucial that is in the commercial real estate industry. How do you approach fostering connections with industry professionals? It's interesting that you're asking that question, especially given that yesterday was Father's Day. I had, I had dinner with my father on Father's Day, and I don't think I learned from anyone else more than what I learned from him about the importance of relationships. And so I would give him 100% of the credit. Everything I've learned about relationship building, I feel like I've learned from him. And he used to, number one, especially as a young person, I'm the oldest of four children, he really held us accountable really to four important things that I now refer to as referability habits. He would always say, do what you say you're going to do, finish what you start, say please and thank you and show up on time. That sounds so simple. 
But the reality is I know very few people in my life that do all four of those things really well. And so I would know that sounds like an oversimplification, but just pause for a minute, Sammy, and think, who do I know in my life that's doing all four of those things, if any? And so I would just say, if you can focus on the people part of this business and really keep like first things first and don't see people as a means to an end, but like really foster deep relationships. I have got, now that I'm so old in the industry, I've got so many examples of people that I had no idea would end up in the seat that they ultimately were in. And uh, our virtue of helping them out for the sake of helping them out, it really paid off later, but that wasn't the spirit behind why I was helping them. I just, I wanted to help them. I would also add that every great opportunity in life starts with a new relationship. And so just cannot overstate the value of relationships and cannot overstate the importance of developing those four restorability habits. I, I just think it's, I think it's everything. I love it. I wonder if your dad taught you those in, uh, in that specific manner. It wasn't quite that concise. It was, by the way, there were some real hard lessons along the way by not <laughs> being good at those things. And I'm grateful that he was patiently and graciously, like a loving father would, reminded me of how important those things were at a young age. And I'm grateful for it. I just, he was, as I mentioned, as a former, you know, professional athlete, he was especially tough on my brothers and me. So we laugh our tails off when we get together of just how hard a time he gave us about making sure those four things were in place as kids growing up. So very thankful for him for that. Very thankful. That's awesome. So Jason, wrapping up, what would you say are some of the most important skills and qualities for success in commercial real estate? And for beginners that are entering the field, how would you suggest they develop and perhaps nurture those skills? Yeah. One thing I would say that I just don't see a lot with, with young people is this idea of leaning into what are you really committed to in your lifetime? And you know, some people refer to those as lifetime goals. Sometimes some people refer to those as lifetime commitments in putting those things in place. And then once you have those in place, once you have a really good sense of where you want to be is measuring backwards from there and trying to figure out like, man, this is where I know, this is where I'm confident I want to go. And this is how I'm going to get there. So that's number one, is this idea of putting into place things that you really feel like in your lifetime you'd be committed to, and then measuring backwards. I think that is a really important element. Earlier you can start that, the better. I think number one. Number two is, you know, Bob Selling Slow was a was a, was a good friend, but he was also a great guy to spend time with early on in my career. He was at Wilson Company and working for Ed when I got started. And I remember he would say these little things like, I mean, make observations about people that you perceive as being successful in the business and do the things that they do. I mean, it, from, from things as simple as like exercise habits to the things that they're reading to the way that they structure their days. Like this whole idea of stealing good ideas is a really good idea when you're around really successful people and making observations about what they do. I think that is a really good thing to practice. And so lifetime commitments, measuring backwards, and then making observations of what successful people are doing. And then, then the idea of developing really solid habits and disciplines around those two things, I think is critical. I love that. That sounds like really, really good advice. So now just to get to know Jason Baker a little bit better, a couple of real quick questions. First of all, what's one thing you do every day to start your morning off? Man, I'll tell you what. I had years ago, I had a guy challenge me and he said, hey, develop a habit of not touching technology for, ready? For an hour a day, a day a week, and a week a year. 
So an hour a day, a day a week, you're a week here, which means the first thing I do in the morning is not touch my phone. I've habit. I journal a lot. I read the Bible. Just I get real quiet, and and sometimes it involves lighting a candle, having a cup of coffee, just getting like really still. That's something that people probably, especially the people that I'm close to, wouldn't necessarily think, because I like to kind of run hard. But that's something that might surprise some people. That's definitely a great way to start the day. And what's a hobby or interest that you have outside of work that most people don't know about, other than lighting a candle in the morning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lighting candles in dark room in the morning. It's not, it's not quite that monk like, but it, but it's pretty quiet and pretty peaceful. Okay, so kind of in the lines with that, you know, I turned fifty and. I had a really good friend say to me, they had mentioned, they said, hey, you've got this big birthday coming up. Are you excited about it? And this thing that rolled off my tongue was, yeah, man, one foot in the grave. And they said, they challenged me like a good friend would. They said, I don't think that I would have that rolling off my tongue quite so easily. So if that weren't in your head, if you weren't thinking that way, what's one thing that you would do right now? And I said, I would go back and get a master's in theology. Theology has always been something that's interested me. So I am halfway finished with a master's degree, a master's of arts in theology. Yeah, so I'm right in the middle of that and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. That is definitely much deeper than a typical hobby that people would have. That's a full force commitment, but uh, but truly an impressive commitment. I'm committed, I'm committed to seeing it through to the end. That is really, really exciting. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you finish that. So now what's a book or a podcast that you've been really enjoying lately? You know, once a week, there are these four buddies. I think they, guessing they went to graduate school together, but there are these four guys that started a podcast during COVID in an effort to stay in touch. These guys would hop on a call on Fridays and they had a fixed call. And then one of them had the sense to say, hey, let's, why don't we record this and throw it into a podcast? That was in 2020 or 2021. They started recording these calls and that podcast is called All In. It runs once a week on Fridays. It runs typically about an hour and a half. And I think they have 20, 25 weekly, 25 million weekly listeners. And it's the biggest, I think, the biggest business and technology podcast in the world. And uh, so that's one that I'm interested in right now for sure. And I just finished a book last week called The Wager. And that's a, it's by David Gran, G-R-A-N-N. And it's a story about a fleet of ships that were commissioned to intercept from England, that they were commissioned to intercept down the point of South America, a Spanish ship carrying like millions of pounds of silver. And it's that story and that adventure, and it involves murder and a shipwreck and rescue. And it was really pretty fascinating. That's a book I just finished and really enjoyed. You seem to have a lot of stuff going on, Jason. You accomplished, I wonder, like, at what point of the day you're, like, never busy. That's unreal. And finally, Jason, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Man, don't ever underestimate the importance of right association, like who you're associated with. I think reputation is, takes a lifetime to build. It can take seconds and even, or minutes to destroy. And, uh, I would say work with a sense of urgency, work with a lot of joy, enjoy what you do, but really protect that reputation. And part of that comes through who you associate with. I love that. And that's really just a perfect segue into wrapping up this episode of the Commercial Real Estate Connection podcast, all about learning about the connections, the people that we have in our lives. Jason, I just want to extend a huge thank you for joining us. Jason Baker from Baker Cats. Check them out online. They have an incredible presence in their uh, retail development and tenant rep team. I'd highly recommend taking a look at them. 
And if you don't follow Jason Baker on LinkedIn, you are missing out on all the incredible retail trends that are taking place in the industry. Jason's always posting and sharing incredible and valuable content. I highly recommend following Jason Baker on LinkedIn. Jason, your expertise, stories, your passion, your humor, and I love all the life lessons that you've uh, you've shared today. It's really going to be unforgettable. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And to all our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in and being part of our community. Remember, ABC, always be connecting. Whether it's forging new partnerships, expanding your network, or strengthening existing relationships, the power of connection is really the key to unlocking new opportunities. So stay curious, stay connected, and hopefully we'll see you guys next time on the Commercial Real Estate Connection Podcast.